Well, hello and welcome. It is time for Tech 37. So excited to be with you today. I hope your day is going well. And this is going to be a very valuable use of your time. We've got some incredible content coming up with another couple of experts that you're... Actually, we've had these guys on before uh, and you've all voted. I'm just making that part up. But this is good stuff. These guys are great. We're talking about the intersection of a couple of different technologies, some of which have grown incredibly fast here during the pandemic. We talk about SASE, S-A-S-E. Uh, we're going to define that again, even though we've covered that, but only for the purposes of diving deeper because we're looking at that intersection with another thing that we've all been working towards, whether we'd wanted to or not, which is multi-cloud. How can one help the other inevitably solving the problems that we have to deal with and that many of us are already facing. That's what's on the agenda for today. It's time for Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. My name is Rob Boyd. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Let's meet the experts. All right, guys, you are defined as the experts. I don't know if I warned you that I was going to use that terminology but, uh, but I've worked with both of you before, and I, I would say that you very much lead. I, I found that the people who actually are experts don't like to be referred to as experts because it's that classic, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Um, and so I'm just going to guess you fall into that category. But uh, either way, Neil, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let's just do a couple of quick introductions and make sure we understand where everybody's coming from before we dive back into the topic. Neil, you're with Worldwide Tech. Well, both of you are Worldwide Technology, but what do you do? In case it's changed, Neil, what are you up to these days? So I'm the, I lead up our network solutions practice, Rob. And uh, so that looks at all things networking. And today's topic is falls right into that, which is the secure access service edge and how that's intersecting with security. Perfect. Yeah, I'd say networking has changed a little bit and certainly under these, these topic headings that we're going with. Bill, uh, do you do something similar or how would you contrast what you're responsible for uh, versus Neil? Yeah, Rob. So uh, once again, Bill Thompson, I lead up our global solutions development team at WWT. And, and we're a group of technical leaders that are really focused on educating people on new technology, you know, through our hands-on labs at WWT. Gotcha. We okay. cover everything from network solutions to cloud to, you know, security, you name it. Well, this doesn't mean, and I'm just guessing here, I may have the direction wrong, that Neil makes promises that you have to live up to, or it might be vice versa. That's about or the size of it, Rob. Okay. It's, All right. That's a good way yeah, to say Yeah, pretty it. much. Well, let's see what kind of promises we can make here today. Um, I, even though we've done, we, I want to do this part quickly because I want to get beyond it. We've done, we did another show. Uh, we had Jordan um, from Worldwide Technology on and a couple of others that I really have enjoyed covering uh, some technology aspects of SASE, as it's, uh, as it's said. Uh, this is, of course, referring back, this is the acronym, Secure Access Service Edge, coined by Gartner, of course, uh, who seems to coin all of our, our most used terminology, That's a, a nice, which is not a bad claim to fame, actually. Um, but SASE, as we tend to say it, which is just fun, um, but SASE has kicked up in a big way uh, in terms of a pandemic, kind of forcing everybody to suddenly say, no more analysis paralysis about what we think we might do next for our business. Everybody was forced to make some changes really, really fast. Uh, and as we're all at various stages of coming back out of that, I think this topic is really important. But for definition purposes, let's say, um, I guess, Neil, I, I'll have you define SASE, and then I'll go to you, Bill, for multi-cloud. Uh, because I know Neil doesn't like multi-cloud, uh, but we'll get into that in just a second. But <laughs> how would you define, uh, maybe I'm giving away too much, SASE. How would you define SASE, Neil? 
Yeah, and it's it's a it's a broad term that Gartner coined. You're right, and there's a lot of people that are referring to themselves as sassy, and some of them we consider to be, you know, accurate. Some of them maybe not so accurate, but essentially, it's it's the coming together of some security technology with SD WAN, and even remote access technology. So connectivity te technologies and security technologies, kind of coming together to solve some challenges around how do I optimize. Uh, you know, user experience going to the cloud, but still have the right security model there. And so we think of it as it's delivering security services next to or, you know, from the cloud, cloud delivered security services, and how those marry up with the connectivity technologies like SD-WAN and like remote access to, to solve real problems that our customers have. Yeah, one thing I that strikes me is if SASE feels like a foregone conclusion to a certain extent. Um, from a technology perspective, if my overly probably simple way of looking at it is going from this notion of let's put all of our assets into one singular data center, perhaps at, at headquarters, ignoring backup for a moment, but and everybody connects in through that. And that worked pretty well for kind of a hub and spoke topology uh, that made a lot of sense. We understood how to architect for that. And we've been doing that successfully with MPLS circuits, you know, and that was a grown up technology versus, you know, how we used to do it before. And but as we got software defined networking has kind of come in here and is with a with maybe one of the best examples for using uh, SDN would be SD WAN uh, because I feel like SD WAN has already proven to be such a big value. But what it also did is highlight kind of the insufficient nature of our architectural based application of security. It wasn't as flexible suddenly as the network was becoming, and so the two are playing some catch up which is good for all of us because the, uh, the whole idea is to do it newer, better, different. But it does overlap, Bill, and I'm curious, uh, Bill, in terms of uh, multi-cloud, what's important on the definition of multi-cloud? Because that is one, I think, that gets misdefined quite a bit. People kind of, maybe they think they're not doing multi-cloud, maybe they think they are. What's important to understand here? Yeah, I think, you know, when we think about WWT's view of what the heck is multi-cloud, you know, as we look at the industry, uh, we're seeing that, you know, this this technically distributed world, if you will, where we have applications that reside everywhere. And even because of the pandemic now, even the users reside everywhere. So so when we think about like a multi-cloud world, uh, this is where applications could exist in a public cloud offering like a, a GCP, Azure or AWS. It could be something your traditional data centers that you see out there. It could even be colo uh, uh, centers that you're maybe renting rack space and even just simply, you know, uh, SaaS applications like an O365 or a Salesforce or whatever that may be. It just, you know, it's all the places that applications reside versus just a traditional data center or a public cloud service. Do you think that users are starting to, it feels like we've already getting into this point where we just kind of accept it. Um, you know, my interactions with end users, Office 365 is a good example where it's almost like, well, this is just the way it's delivered. No one's even thinking about it actively anymore. Now I know network engineers are definitely thinking about it um, and looking at those, the changing traffic patterns exacerbated by perhaps by the pandemic. And um, I joked, I was trying to figure out where to, well, I didn't want to joke, but earlier I told you guys, I wanted to figure out where to put it. It's a branch of one, which I thought was a great way to encapsulate. And it's someone's article I stole that from. But I just like the the image of the fact that's what we're dealing with. You have 40,000 employees, now you have 40,000 branches. Maybe not quite that many, but that's pretty much the kind of scale change we're talking about. Neil, you said, 
you hinted at the fact that everybody's got a sassy offer. I think you're referring to vendors in terms of it. it well, you're not a true vendor in the space if you don't have sassy somewhere on your website or in your offering. Uh, and But that's not to take away from the fact that there are some quite good uh, solutions out there. Uh, but there, there's not one thing and there's not one answer to anything as usually is the case. Um, so maybe it's good, obviously, to stay away from the vendor specifics and just talk about the things we need to understand, perhaps from a leadership perspective, when it talks about how we leverage these technologies. Uh, how would you define the problem that we're trying to solve when it comes to this combination of SASE and multi-cloud? Yeah, and that's what's really important to start with. And that's where we always try to start with customers is what are the use cases that you're really trying to solve for? You know, what are the challenges you're trying to solve? And there are different use cases. One is, like you mentioned, Rob, people working from home. Um, you know, at the start of the pandemic, we sort of had to duct tape and, you know, wire together whatever solutions we could possibly make work just to get people connected. But what we saw customers doing is, okay, let's go back and if, if those some of those may turn into hybrid working situations where people are going to stay in those offices or work partially there, partially at, you know, at their work location when things return to semi-normal. Um, so, but let's add some security to that. Like, let's, let's figure out like, how are we going to secure those things in a, in a better way? So there's different ways to do that. You could push out a bunch of firewalls to everybody's, you know, home office. And that's, you know, that's got its challenges, right? Or leveraging services like SASE where essentially it's it's pretty scalable, right? You 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 can buy licenses, you can turn up those security services for as many home office users as you want. You can even push the remote access terminations there if you want to. Instead of you know buying more and more head ends for your VPN clients, you can you can leverage those services to terminate those those clients right directly there at the at the cloud. So it's a way of optimizing experience at the same time as providing the security that people are looking for. Other use cases like or, you know, we call it the branch to cloud use case. And that one's been around for a long, long time. I think you you mentioned, Rob, like forever, we've we've had this hub and spoke topology where we've wanted to terminate our branch locations directly into the private data center and then let the traffic go from there. But in in the world, like Bill's talking about, where applications can be anywhere, it's not optimal to do that. It's not optimal to pull all that traffic back over my WAN and then punt it out. It's much better to let that stuff go in the clear towards the cloud more naturally. But again, you have this problem. I feel like I've been working on this problem of direct internet access and split tunneling for 20 <laughs> years now. How long have we been talking about this problem, Rob, about split tunneling? And this is this is a potential solution to that where you can, yeah. again, leveraging a SASE edge, you can terminate your traffic there that makes sense to go to the cloud directly and split it off from the traffic that needs to go to your private data center. So it's it's a way of balancing, again, that user experience and the security that most uh, of the IT organizations are looking for. Well, I think these historical architectures make a lot of sense because um, when you talk about expensive security hardware, as it's typically been, especially if you're talking about the volume that could come through a central site, it made sense to pour your investment in that one area and then kind of architect around that. Um, and so the first question becomes, because it feels like, well, it feels like one of the things that we, we sometimes talk about with software more often, but this feels like very much a reality here, which is we're moving from a CapEx model to an OpEx model, uh, because now we need the same security capabilities, perhaps, and those are actually continually refining and getting more and more mature as, you know, with the tit for tat thing that we do in the security business. Um, but, you know, you need to be able to put those elsewhere, but we also have multiple clouds, and so it's not as if we're going to go put them on the one cloud we're going to. How do we begin 
rationalizing this balance because multi-cloud, I would say, is a, a SASE is potentially an answer for multi-cloud. Yes, but how? I, it, you know, I have trouble marrying those two. What are your What are your thoughts, either of you, Bill? Yeah, so you know, one of the values of a SASE solution is that we can actually go through and you know, start using identity-based uh, access policies, meaning apply, you know, different policies and secure the identities, the people or things that are out there and the application, specific applications. So that means that I can easily say that Bill Thompson, you know, has this security associated with that person, no matter where I reside. I could be in a headquarters, I could be in a you know, a branch office location or, you know, my house or even a national coffee same. vendor, right? Uh, so same as uh, the case with applications. We can say that a particular web server, regardless of where it resides, if it's in a traditional data center, we can apply those same security policies if we decide to move that workload to GCP or AWS or Azure, right? The, the value is that, you know, with a SASE solution, we can centrally administer all these policies and say, this policy follows Bill no matter where he's at. It has a significant impact on, you know, simplifying operations and accelerating things like multi-cloud adoption, uh, you know, some of the challenges that Neil spoke of, like how do I distribute my security even better, uh, you know, a, a wealth of value there. So the policy and the kind of the policy repository feels like a very important concept here because we firmly moved beyond this notion of, I think we used to also think about the fact we were securing based on where you were located and how you accessed. And so it was very dependent upon mm -hmm. things that are not so um, evident anymore, such as your location or your IP address or, uh, or things like this. But you're talking about associating uh, a combination, perhaps a policy that, that's looking at who are you and, and what are you allowed to do um, and, and even some mature combinations of those things. Well, and Neil, you were saying earlier, and this is where I joked, but then didn't really circle back around this about how much you don't like the term multi-cloud. It's not you don't like multi-clouds. I should, in multi-clouds, would you say multi-clouds are just a reality? And do most people, would you say that most of your customers even recognize that they're in a multi-cloud environment? Or where would you say that the, the knowledge bit is there? Yeah, that's a challenge. And, and, I, and I definitely love multi-cloud it, like it's just that the term the terminology is is tough because yeah. when most people hear that word they think um well i'm using multiple public clouds like i'm if i'm using gcp and aws then i'm multi-cloud but if i'm only using azure then I'm, maybe i'm not multi-cloud right but the reality is we, we look at that term as if you're consuming if your applications are in more than one location right then you're yeah. multi-cloud that could be your private you know, data center cloud, that could be AWS or public cloud, that could be SaaS applications like O365 and other things. And so the, the, the reality is that every, every customer is likely multi-cloud today. Um, very few customers are have their applications in a single place, except for some maybe, you know, very ultra secure customers in the DOD. Yeah. But even, even there, we're seeing movement into, you know, public cloud spaces. But um, yeah. that's the unfortunate part of it. And, and so we, we try to be very specific with customers and, you know, don't focus so much on how many public clouds you're consuming, but really if you are your applications in more than one place, then you need to think about your, your network connectivity, you know, um, that makes sense to, to, to connect those users and those apps. 
and that's a takeaway I think that we've got here, which is you just need to go ahead and operate from the perspective of I'm in a multi-cloud world. How am I now going to respond to that uh, and not let it control me? Because I think, you know, SASE might be something that some people are still having under consideration and they're a bit overwhelmed with the amount of options that are out there because there are some subtle and perhaps important differences in vendors and there's pre-existing relationships and contracts in place and such that customers have. Um, I, before, I, I want to go into the, the, the next section about why this is important in terms of impact that getting this right has for the for a business. But before we get there, I just want to make sure we've tied off on user experience and how that weighs into the balance here. Because I feel like user experience is one of these things where it's great with less security, potentially. It's how we used to design applications even, you know, and then, and then we started glomming on security afterwards and we found out that that was a bit of a problem. Now they're both uh, need to be done at the beginning, but when we talk about SASE as it applies to multi-cloud, is there a place in there for the user experience to still be considered uh, of, of primary importance? Bill. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the biggest ahead, challenges, Bill. to be honest. Uh, thanks, Neil. Uh, just the fact that we want to secure these users and you know, me being a network guy at heart, I always think, ah, security, you're gonna slow me down, right? Uh, but the reality is that we need to make sure our organizations are secure. So how do we do that in a way that we can actually, you know, either keep the user experience at the same level or even improve it? When we look at trying to distribute a, you know, our traditional security systems that are out there to users' homes, to their branches, to, you know, the applications that are out there, it becomes really difficult. And, and, you know, just looking at what we did when it first came to the pandemic is we just bring everyone back to the data center. I can tell you my internet is not the best in the world and having the VPN back to WWT to access O365 was not a very quality experience. So how do we secure that stuff? This is where SASE comes into play. It, it really abstracts location and provides that level of ex, uh, of security along with the user experience that I'm used to or expect. Do you want to add on that, Neil? Yeah, I was just going to say that I think, you know, some of the challenges that we've got with hairpinning and things like that, you know, Bill outlined them, like bringing that traffic all the way to the private data center and then back out to cloud is just not optimal. Um, and that's where most of the SASE architectures are built right next to the cloud, essentially. And you know, you, you pointed out, Rob, like the cloud, it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer, but you, know, you can think of all, all these different cloud data centers living in, you know, highly, highly interconnected. And these SASE solutions are typically right next to those in terms of the architecture. And so you can get great connectivity to whatever services you're trying to reach in the back end after you've gone through, you know, the security service edge there. Yeah, it's interesting because the cloud providers have, have bent over backwards to work on peering arrangements and and even uh, routing algorithm, you know, routing protocols to, uh, which has gotten to the point where I think, and Bill, if you need to readjust something on your audio, sounds like you're fighting with it, please, but feel free. I hope you can, you still hear us okay though? We're here, we, you're amongst family. Okay. All right, good, good, good. AirPods died. 
Uh, okay, so yeah, that's gu- guaranteed. That'll happen when the uh, when the show starts. But at this notion of uh, also, and it's a different topic, but just the notion that the internet itself is not what we thought it once was, uh, or maybe perhaps how it started. And it, a lot of that is because of the traffic that's happening through these you know, peering arrangements sometimes with the larger cloud providers. And I think that's an okay thing because I think it's all in the effort of providing better services and pre-positioning content and, and just kind of uh, helping advance the experience. But in that vein, let's talk a little bit about why this is important. There were, there were three things that you guys had kind of outlined. And so I'm just going to walk through, I want to introduce these and just have you kind of put some color around them. Uh, Bill, I'll start with you. Um, uh, if you're okay with that, uh, let's see, because you said mm-hmm. you didn't like security. As a network guy, I don't know. You don't mean that. I'm just trying to cause problems. Uh, impact to security posture was was one that you guys had brought up. What is important there? And Neil, you can still weigh in on that afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned before, when we first started out with a pandemic, we we kind of went towards this. How do I get more things out in the cloud and more accessible uh, for users that are at home? Uh, you know, accessing those different applications that exist everywhere. So. One of the major challenges is that initially we didn't have a very good way in in many instances to secure our users that were out there. Uh, You know, with a solution like SASE, we can now do that, right? And improve the security posture, give us the visibility that we really didn't have before. In fact, not only are we gaining visibility, we're kind of gaining an improvement in in how we look at that. It's in I'll call it human readable format, right? As a network guy, I'm looking at IP addresses, lots of numbers, and I don't yeah. associate that with a Neil Anderson. Now I can say tuple. this is yeah. Neil Anderson. Exactly, yeah. right? But but it also gives us an advantage in like, if I look at application to application traffic, like imagine I have an application in GCP and one in AWS, and I need to secure between those two. You know, traditional methods are just, you know, slapping some sort of edge device, a physical device, if you will, uh, in front of that to secure it. Now I can use a single SASE solution to secure both my users and my applications, get better visibility in a more readable format, if you will. So it sounds yeah, like I we should expect an improvement with SASE in those areas of security, not necessarily a, exactly. just getting by. You're actually talking about something that enables a bit more flexibility, perhaps. But Neil, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. And the other, the other benefit I think there is, um, you know, there's a lot of toil that goes into most security teams having to constantly patch firewalls and, you know, update software constantly of their, you know, their different security stacks. And one of the side benefits of SASE is that it lets the security teams kind of offload that work, right? That, that stuff is just getting updated. Those security stacks are getting updated in these services in the cloud automatically. And so it frees up the security staff to work on other things, you know, that are real threats. Instead of working on the toil, they can kind of uplevel themselves and really focus on, you know, what are the threats that are out there, that, like ransomware and other attacks that are going on. Um, and, and so by adopting these, they can kind of uplevel their security, you know, capability and posture um, just by adopting the different solutions like this. I'm just laughing because I toil, such a simple four-letter word, uh, in a good forward word that I don't use very often, but I really like it because I can, I, I don't know. I have this, this um, uh, physical reaction to wanting to avoid toil, especially unnecessary toil or repetitive toil. Uh, the things that I associate in, in my limited 
uh, security background, which is a whole lot of of uh, just trying to stay alive, uh, as we often do in the networking space in general, which is just constantly putting out fires. You're really hitting on, it sounds like, also, though, impact to operations, which I had as the second area. So we had impact to your security posture, which bleeds nicely, no problem with that whatsoever, into an improvement uh, that you can expect. And I think that's the right way to, to frame these things is to look at if I, if I, if I agree that multi-cloud is a big challenge that, we're, that everyone's grappling with at various levels, and I think the argument you're starting to make there of these first two areas, impact security posture, impact operations, is about how this can advance you in helping solve some of those challenges. Am I paraphrasing that okay so far? Just to make sure I'm not misstating that because I count on you to correct yeah, me. Yeah, I think you've got it, Robin. And, you know, it, it's a benefit to both of those, right? I can improve my security operations team because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm changing the, the work that they're doing, right? Instead of doing this kind of toil work, I call it, they're, they're able to, you know, sort of shift their thinking. They can also mm-hmm. get you know, Bill, maybe you can comment on this, but they can get a whole lot better visibility of what's going on too, typically from these different tools. Well, and I know exactly, you know, as, as an, as a technical person, right. I look at the way we, we provide different levels of security from malware protection to antivirus to, you know, just policies, what you're allowed to talk to or not. And and I look at it today and I see all these disparate systems that me as an operations person, I have to manage each of these individually. And mm-hmm. and there there's where the visibility comes into play. I can't put all this stuff together uh, you know, without touching various different systems in there. And this is where SASE has me excited because now I have a place that I can, you know, perhaps consolidate a lot of these functions and get that the whole picture of what's going on across the board, right? Applications, users, I consolidated gear, I, I, I manage it in one place. So huge impact to uh, 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 positive impact, if you will, to operations. Well, you mentioned early on, Bill, this uh, improvement in visibility as part of that because it goes back to kind of a security maxim uh, of sorts, I guess, which is, you know, you can't secure what you can't identify or see or some form of that because you could probably take it many different ways. But I also, you know, this lack of visibility has been something I've heard customers bemoaning quite a bit as things were shifting, you know, because for one, our users have never had more control over their ability to, you know, and so we've talked about shadow IT in the past and I don't need to bring it up here, but it's still a very much a real thing, which is, you know, uh, how do you uh, empower people but still respect the, the, the corporate needs and the greater good that needs to be achieved, but yet not curtail their flexibility? Because uh, I became hyper-conscious. I've been thinking more of it lately as we're hopefully kind of coming out of the pandemic and people are starting to travel more, maybe wear masks a little bit less and this kind of stuff. But it's like over the past year, as, as someone who always works at home unless I'm traveling, which may be, you know, one to two weeks a month, um, you know, so half and half, so let's say. But what's happened is being home all the time, I've really had fun, to a certain extent, perfecting my home office. But I've become conscious of the fact that I am uh, i don't want to be less of a technical, I was going to say whiz kid. I don't think that works. I'm not that young. Um, 
but you know, less of a technical person and my ability to do things, I still needs to be just as flexible in a hotel room as much as possible as it is home. And so I'm conscious of the fact that I always have, this has always been the case. I prefer my big physical keyboard. I prefer this, this big obnoxious chair I sit in, you know, and some things like this that obviously aren't going to travel with me, but those are balancing acts, right? In terms of supporting the user experience as we navigate through these tricky waters, but there's no putting this toothpaste back in the tube. This is the direction we're all headed in. So I'm going to get some questions. I'm going to get some comments from you on how we deal with that. But before we do the third thing, because we had impact security posture, we had the potential impact for operations and how well those tied. We hinted at this early, but this impact to finances, uh, Neil, I'll have you start with this one. Is it just a, is it just simply the CapEx versus OpEx type of thing, or is there more things to potentially consider uh, in this conversation? Well, there's definitely a shift in the consumption model, typically with these services. Um, you know, typically today, somebody's building security stacks in their DMZs, in their internet edges, and you know, they're they're acquiring physical equipment, probably firewalls and other appliances. They're acquiring licenses, uh, you know, to to run those. And a lot of times, those are still uh, a capex spend, right? Typically, most of and and by the way, when you try to scale those out, you're talking about you know, you've got to increase your CapEx spend. I've got to bring in more appliances. I've got to bring in, you know, and and uh, essentially use that, duplicate that building block that I've got and create a bigger security stack. Yeah. In the in the case of SASE services, most of them are uh, much more of an OPEX consumption model where I'm, mm. I'm, okay. a, I'm essentially buying a certain set of licenses that entitle me to send either a certain number of users connected to through those services, or sometimes it's by bandwidth. Um, whatever the the metric is that I'm using to bill it, I'm typically paying as I go, and yeah. so that's it's it's a, definitely a shift in the way that uh, companies are are thinking about it. Well, it feels like it goes back to also just what's your visibility on your utilization, because now all of a sudden you've got to look at are we using the things that we're paying for, and or are we you know, to make sure you're not overpaying for something that's just not providing value. But it feels like the tools are really in place. And it, in, in my limited understanding of the vendors, I don't, in my experience, don't touch as many as you guys do, because I mean, this is really what you guys do, uh, which is you go out and, and physically put the rubber on the road and road test these things uh, across multiple vendors, even just to see what that's going to take. Um, but it, it does feel like, um, uh, what was I leading up to there? Oh, the optimization. Sorry. Uh, so I, I just warned in case I lose my connection all of a sudden because I have a UPS on everything I'm doing here. But there's extreme lightning going on here, and I don't know if you can hear the thunder. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this would yep. be ironic. We're almost done though. This is where as we're winding up. But with that said, so you look at utilization and you look at how you're using your things, which becomes an important criteria financially, I think as well, which is good, right? It's something we always wanted to do in older models as well. We just may not have had the tooling to do it. But I feel like the tooling is coming together. And so, Bill, I'll start with you because I it if, if I understand correctly about what you do with worldwide, you have teams of people that their job is to um, to develop and, and grow customer relationships to help answer questions around what does this mean in my situation? Because I always feel like as a customer watching this remotely, I'm always like, but my problem is I use these things and we still have this old PBX switch and we do whatever it may be. I don't know. There's a thousand different uh, permutations. How does WWT deal with the variety that you come across, both on the vendor side as well as the customer needs side? How do you all marry those two? Yeah, that's that's always a challenge, Rob, to be honest, especially when we get brand new technology such as this. You know, there's 
a multitude of vendors that are riding the wave of sassy, if you will. And, and how do you know which one is the right, uh, the right solution to fit a business's use cases, right? So we've done a lot of research in our labs, looking at different solutions and, and believe it or not, they are not created equal. Some you know, are very great in certain use cases and others are great in different uh, areas and use cases, right? So, so this is where WWT and especially our labs getting your hands on and understanding how this works can really help out, right? We can help navigate like what are the uses use cases what are the you know what is the greatest need for security to the business and then start mapping that to the correct solution that will fit what they have today and where they're trying to go in the future you know i feel like one thing that changes in this environment is um the notion of a rollout or the notion of how you onboard something like this because I think there was one set of things I've, I've been part of all night long changeovers in data centers in the past, you know, where we stayed up to do something where we had the least amount of users and different things like this, because we're cutting over to another different physical batch of equipment at a specific location. Feels like those days are probably gone. Uh, and this is something that potentially happens over time. Neil, we were talking about the importance of, of the journey but I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit and talk about what's important in terms of understanding this and then in your own color on where Worldwide helps with that with that appropriate mindset. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, as, as this is obviously a big transformation for most customers, right? They're used to turning up their own security stack. They know how to configure the policies that they want on their security stack. And so it's it's a change for them, right? How do you get the same, essentially same policies and the same uh, implementation in one of these services at the cloud edge, but we can help you do that. We can help understand what is the, you know, what are the business policies you're trying to implement? How would they look in a service like this and help you get those set up? And and you're, you're right, Rob, this isn't like the old days of like a flash cut where we're, you know, we're flash standing up, word I was missing. Yeah. We're, we're standing up a stack right next to the, you know, a new stack next to the old one. And we're going to flash cut it over there. Like it, it, they can be much more uh, easier transitions and you can do it much more gradually. You can leave your old security service, you know, stack sitting there while you're turning up the new one and you can migrate people over, you know, sort of person at a person time to the, to the, uh, or branch by the branch, you know, over to the, this, this type of a service. But, you know, we do have, as Bill mentioned, we have the capabilities to, one of the biggest questions is like, well, which one's right for me? You know, how do I, yeah. how do I start, where do I start on this kind of stuff? And, you know, one of the things is we can sit down with customers one-on-one. -on -one. We, we call it a workshop. We can sit down and understand what are the use cases that are really important to you? What kinds of business policies are really important to you? And then we can make recommendations based on our experience, like which one of these solutions are one or two you want to look at most that are going to fit your needs best. And then we can help get hands-on as well. Most of these solutions we have running in, in the labs that, that Bill creates, his team creates, they're on demand. You know, people can go to www.com today and go take a look at those labs, get your hands on some of these solutions like, uh, you know, Cisco Umbrella or Zscale or Palo Alto solution. You can go out there and try these and 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 see what it's like to, you know, manage one of these policies and what it's like from an IT and a, and a SecOps administrator to use one of these before you ever have to buy one. So that, that's just something that we provide our customers. And I think that becomes even more important in this one, because not only does it feel like to executives watching this, that, you know, I'm thinking of a VP of infrastructure, uh, you know, a, a, a leader that is 
understands the technology, but isn't necessarily hands on, but under but is going through this mind shift of how do I how do I lead my organization differently so that we're not caught or left behind because things are moving so quickly and and the ability to be nimble going forward of course is just is a big objective that I think we all want which is you know how do we how do we stay and continue to advance but how do we also not get bogged down uh, because we've got to continue to iterate quickly and if anything as much as it felt for a just a maybe a flash hot minute as they say the kids say um, you know with the pandemic that everything slowed down but to, from what I'm seeing customer wise nothing slowed down uh, it's just it it dramatically shifted as priorities got all thrown in, you know, let's put out the fire, so to speak. And then now it's become, let's manage the fire and let's figure out how to use the fire to uh, propel us forward because our competitors are doing that. Uh, but there's also been a big change. I think you guys provide a really good ability to help people get across this uh, chasm, which is the fact that historically, and maybe this is just my opinion, but security has been a best of breed world. Uh, excuse me, not a best of breed world, but, um, yeah, best of breed. Sorry, uh, you know the specific solutions that you know. This is how you do intrusion prevention, and uh, and you do want to get away from signature databases and go to something that's going to do analysis of behavior over here. But this this vendor does something else, you know. And then security experts would pride themselves on on being the only ones that knew how all this stuff was potentially going to work together if it really did. Um, I think that is still possible in this game, but it feels like there's actually a lot of value from something that certain vendors, of course, have been saying for a long time, which is. But, but, but there is certain things you can do in a sassy based approach that may be better from a single vendor for your situation or because of your pre-existing relationships. Do you agree that that's a, that's a, a sea change in terms of how we used to think about it that's important to understand here? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think that the way I look at these is um, it's almost like crowdsourcing the, the best security practices and putting them in a, in a service that everybody can, can benefit from, right. Rather than every single company building your own, you know, security stack, and you may get really super good at it. And if you can hire the right security experts and, and do the right things over time, you can get super good at that, but it's sort of like organization by organization. Now you're trying to get good at it. And this is almost like crowdsourcing security practices and putting yeah. them in, putting them in one place next to the cloud that everybody can benefit from, the, you know, if, if somebody learns about a threat, you can roll a change in there and everybody benefits from it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so that's that's something I'm super excited about is just the, the number of organizations that can benefit from the common knowledge of the threats out there. No, that's a good point. I'm conscious of the fact that I've talked this right up into um, into the into our end of time here. But I just want to highlight if anyone here is watching the live stream, of course, this is the the page that. Um, uh, that you're watching the stream on, but you may be watching it in replay. I encourage everybody to get comfortable with this. Go to WWT.com. You can understand more about the resources being talked about here. And in fact, even looking at the bottom of this page here, there are some articles and different things here that also that link you over to uh, briefings and workshops and such that you can take advantage of, which I highly encourage you to take advantage of because that's really where a lot of the value comes from. But it allows you to, to kind of dig deeper into what these guys are doing, interface more directly, uh, be uh, forewarned about different things that you guys are amazing about how much you publish. Um, but as you mentioned, the ATC, the Advanced Technology Center, um, very much a real physical thing with a lot of physical hardware and interconnections and and just a, it's a networkers and com 
technologist dream uh, to, to go there, but you don't have to physically go there, which I love is you guys were doing this well before the pandemic even started. Uh, you were doing stuff remotely and you do a ton of labs. And so by no means are, uh, as I understand it, you guys are not implying that someone has to physically go to St. Louis or somewhere, uh, somewhere else to meet with you. You guys can meet them where they're at. You're fully prepared to do that bonus if you can come to St. Louis, um, perhaps, because I've been there and it's worth, it's a, it's a pilgrimage. It's worthwhile. Uh, it's a good thing to go over and check out. But Neil, Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you so much. And uh, and our audience, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this Tech 37 on Sassy and Multi-Cloud, solving answers for you. Uh, Please stay tuned. Uh, We will have more shows just like this coming up soon. But you got to go on www.com to get them. Y'all take care.